You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hi, this is Fred Long, and I'm with Michael Halcombe, and we're featuring a special episode for Passover um, and Easter weekend. And uh, yeah. this is Proof Text where we try to prove our points from scripture. Like we take scripture as our reference point for all of life. And we want to make sure that we uh, are, are open to hearing what the scriptures are saying, open to observe, consider different possibilities. But then also we have to keep uh, interpreting scripture according to scripture and according to what is, is true and make good observations of the text. And so um, Michael and I are offering this uh, for those who are uh, preparing messages and thinking about Holy Week and Good Friday and the resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. Or just anybody interested in the text, right? Um, we, yeah. uh, I was going to say, we've, re- we've done a couple special episodes this week. I don't think we've ever released three or four episodes within the span of a week, but we're, we're doing that here. Um, so if you, you haven't been able to listen to the preceding two episodes on both on Mark 14 uh, and talking about Holy Week, um, particularly the Eucharist and the events immediately following that exiting to the Mount of Olives, go ahead, go back and listen to those. Um, but today we, we want to, on the, the first side, if we can do this, we're always much longer winded than we think we're going to be. We're going to try to focus on the end of uh, Mark 15, picking up at uh, 1539. And uh, we'll, we'll try to focus on that for the first half. And then 16, one through eight on the second half. We'll see. I don't know. Um, always a, more as, comes up. Yeah. As a framework for that, where I, I just want to remind us what what Jesus on the on the road to Emmaus as he's talking with those two disciples, uh, he he says in verse uh, in Luke 24, 20, uh, 27, he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained the, to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And uh, he asked just prior to that, verse 26, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? and to enter into his glory. So there's this understanding of Christ needing to suffer before entering his glory. And so as we're looking at this ending of Mark, we're going to see this twofold movement of suffering, which is focusing on the crucifixion. And then in chapter 16, we're going to transition to think more about the resurrection. So Michael, um, why don't you get us started by looking at this twofold movement? Yeah, well, um, in 1539, it's where we're going to pick up, uh, we encounter uh, the centurion again. He's been introduced earlier in the story. Um, and I, I already know what Fred's looking at there. We have the Idon there starting it. Um, so in the centurion, he's, he's standing there in front of Jesus. So he saw how he died, and he said, uh, now, here we go. This is a truly or a surely. It's not an amen, right? It's an alethos. Surely or truly, this man was the son of God. Now, this, this, gosh, there's so much 
to talk about here. We'll go into the grammar in a second, but um, first of all, I'm the thing that most intrigues me about this verse is the the tone in which the centurion says this because how we understand this tone is going to shade our interpretation of the events right um is he saying this in an affirmative way like truly or surely this man was the son of god to which jesus replied i am the son of god and don't call me surely or um that was a joke fred you're supposed to laugh um (laughs) airplane reference um or (laughs) or is is he saying this in like a sarcastic mocking tone yeah right sure this man was the son of god right um this is kind of interesting to 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 think of and there have been entire books written on this very thing too um uh, and and there's even been a suggestion that uh this would have been a like comedic punchline when the centurion of all people said this, that when the crowd would have laughed, like he's saying it in a mocking tone. So there's all different ways to read this. And uh, the, I think the traditional or typical way is to see the centurion as, as legitimately affirming Jesus as the son of God. But I don't think we should rule out these other ideas. Yeah. Um, someone, I was trying to find the article argued that this was actually like the dramatic punchline. Yeah, so Kelly not, Iverson is probably who you're referring to. Yes, that's, that's who it is. Yeah, Iverson, thank you. Yeah, exactly. That this would have been like an applause line. Like, yep. Yeah, a Centurion's Confession and Performance Critical Analysis of Mark 1539 by Kelly R. Iverson. Yep. yep. I, think, I think it is. I don't think there's irony here. I think it's supposed to be taken positively myself yeah Hmm. however we do that yeah yeah it's just it's really it's another one of those instances where playing with tone like just makes a difference um and and can really shade our interpretation well in the next verse we get this great line 40 some women were watching from a distance (laughs) um and so it doesn't actually say some women that's the NIV, but if we're following the Greek and women were watching from a distance and then also they're named. Women. Yeah. Right. Um, among among them, whom. Yeah. Yeah. Mary, uh, the Magdalene or the one from Migdala and Maria, uh, the one of Jacob, the younger and of Eustace or Eustace and uh, the mother of Salome, mother of Eustace and Salome. Mm-hmm. So what are you noticing in these first two verses, uh, 39 and 40? Anything you want to pick up on? We have two there's, so we know that it's actually building on what came before. So 39 might be a weird place to start. Maybe we should start with 37, which also has a there. I don't know. There's yeah. tons of there's here, every single verse. Yeah, there's a new, develop, new development except for 38. 38. Um, yep. The and, the temple. and then you have new developments. Yep. Throughout. I, um, yeah, I mean, I like the previous verses where it talks about him breathing on his last and whatnot, yeah. uh, because that's 37. Um, then Elijah is mentioned in 36. 
Uh, yes, make sure you have your Bibles out. Um, and, the, and then 38, the temple, the veil of temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What I noticed, uh, that verb there, torn, in thir verse 38, is schizo, uh, torn in two. And that mm -hmm. verb only occurs elsewhere yes. when the heavens were opened up yep. and, and the spirit came upon him. And uh, this curtain of the temple that was torn in two actually had a scene of the heavens on it. Well, the heavens were torn apart when Jesus was, uh, the spirit was received. Here, he's he's breathing out his spirit, ek panevo. Whereas in earlier in chapter one, he's receiving the panevma. Mm -hmm. So, and there's all kinds of correspondences. It's beautiful. Each of them has water. John the Baptist is considered to be Elijah. Now Elijah's here. Um, the temple curtain looks like the heavens. The heavens are split open. I actually had my uh, students in New Testament introduction compare those passages and look for parallels between them. Basically, it's a big inclusio. Like it's a wrap up <laughs> to yep. Mark's gospel. So that to me is very significant. And then to have a centurion basically acclaim him according to a title that the emperor was acclaimed as mm -hmm. Filius Dewi or Dewi Filius, a son of God or God's son is highly significant and uh, not ironic at all. Um, and then verse 40, what I see is significant, particularly if we look forward a little bit to, um, well, verse 40, uh, 41 is, is you have um, paraphrastic, uh, we have a paraphrastic participles. Um, they were beholding him from afar. Um, so they're taking this in a theor, a theoret, theoreo, um, theoreo actually, uh, epsilon contract, theoreo. So they're beholding him, these women. So these women, you know, they're the bravest of the bunch. I mean, they're basically following him to the very end. Right. And they're so important that each of them is named and they're named in a list and uh notice that the first member in the list also is given a cat at the front cat maria cat maria cat eos que salome maria yeah maria maria so yeah they're they're significant enough to be named yeah and this is when you tie 40 that list of female names of 41 i think there's another sort of inclusio going on um and it's with the word galilea uh because it, the the text tells us that these were the women who were with him in the galilee yeah um that, that's super significant uh yeah uh, um, in 1428, we skipped over this, but he says, I have risen, but after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into the Galilee. But back in 1-9, right, we get the first instances. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in the Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And it says, uh, you know, we get that whole baptismal scene. And then 12, at once the Spirit sent him out of the wilderness or exercised him to the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days. Um, being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals and messengers on good you uh, served him. 
I I often wonder if that's not a celestial being reference, but a reference to these women messengers that we have mentioned in 1541. Um, it says the, these are the women who are with him since Galilee and cared for him. Um, they, they followed him. And the, the word that we have uh, there um, in 1541, right? We have in the Galilea, Luthun. In the Galilee, they followed Avto, Ke the Econun, from the Aconeo. And when we go back to uh, serving, meaning serving or ministering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they were serving him. And when we go back to 13, it's the same exact word. It's another inclusio, the Aconeo, the Aconun, right? Uh, the and the messengers were serving him well what messengers they're in the galilee i think it's the the messengers that are mentioned here these women i don't think it's talking about angels yeah yeah interesting i'm th- I'm, I'm empathetic to that viewpoint um just i think the word angels can it means messenger and you know, for us to think right away of heavenly messengers is only one usage, and it's a huge presupposition that shaped it is by a huge presupposition. Yeah, that yeah. just shaped by like I don't know, ages of trying to un- understanding the word that way. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. So I think there's the double inclusio happening with schizo, yeah, uh, schizo, and then also uh, the akonun. Yeah. On the other hand, I mean. It's okay for me if Jesus is ministered to by angels, as long as we have the opportunity to be ministered to by angels. And I think I think there probably are circumstances where people are ministered to by angels. I mean, there's miraculous things that happen, happen to people, particularly when they're in places of distress and in ministry. And, um, you know, I my whole premise with Jesus and supernatural help and these kinds of things or superintending help from God is, is he has available to us, we have available to us what Jesus had available. Like he doesn't have available sure. to him more than what we do, you know, and then expect us to be as faithful as he was. Um, I just think that wouldn't be fair. So, you know, I'm okay with it being angels. And I, I just want to acknowledge that I think that beings like this exist and, and they, sure. they, I'm not, they, maybe, I'm not. they maybe help us in ways that, are quite direct sometimes and surprising um i'm not i'm not uh denying an angelology or anything yeah, like that yeah. but i just don't i don't think in mark that's this that these verses that's what's happening but yeah, yeah. i i see where yeah. that view I just want is. to clarify that for people yeah we're not yeah. trying to scrub out the supernatural or yeah yeah all that I realm that yeah yeah and so it verse, says yeah, and many yeah. other women who came up with him to jerusalem there's like way more women <laughs> Yeah, and he's Jesus is very pro women, um, yep. and that's significant. And it's, I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, it gets us to a question I think that has come up before, and that is, why didn't Jesus choose any women to be among the twelve apostles? You know, mm. right? Is this counterbalancing that kind of statement? And it's really, you know, yeah. a, a question I think that people ask. Women, I think, maybe ask that, particularly those from denominations or church traditions that don't don't encourage don't support women in in certain ministries yeah i'm i fully affirm women in all positions of ministry um uh and 
Yeah, I, I do think there's a counterbalancing. I think this is often overlooked. Um, and one of the literary things, the way that I think the, the literature here, uh, the way that it's set up and structured, it actually lends itself to a, a great theological point, which I think is that um, these women are unnamed in the beginning. Well, they're named here at the end. And one of the amazing things, I think, just about this small prepositional phrase in De Galilea, paired with the, the Okonun, is that now I think we are meant to go back to the beginning of the story with new eyes. We, we see these three, these several named women, and there are also other a bunch of women. And I think we're actually meant to go back to the beginning of the story or think back to it. And now like meant to like notice the women being there all along. I think it's a really cool literary uh, thing that's contributing to, I guess, a theological point. These, these women were there all along and we are in fact meant to go back and see the story, see them in the story. Peter's mother-in-law, in fact, exactly uh, was, was healed of a fever, burning fever. And yep. she got up immediately and was diaconeo. Exactly. Uh, was yep. serving Jesus using the same verb as here. Exactly. Yeah. I think she's one of them. Yeah. yeah, she's probably one of them. She might be one of the other ones. Uh, yeah, that came along to Jerusalem. So let's what happens then? So Jesus dies. He breathes out his last. There are witnesses here. Um, centurion. And then these women mentioned in mass. And then what happens in 42 following? Yeah, it was preparation day. Uh, and now evening happened or evening came, occurred. Um, seeing it was the preparation parescave, uh, prosa, prosavaton, the, the, the four Sabbath, or the day before mm -hmm. the Sabbath. Now, this is super fascinating. Um, trying to put together a timeline or chronology of Holy Week based on the, the synoptics. I mean, it is insanely difficult. Um, Let alone John's. Yeah, I mean, John's is the one that, that gives us a lot of detail and and causes us to, to, to realize it's not maybe as simple as we think when we're just trying to base it on the synoptics. So the view, right, was Jesus crucified on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday? Maybe he was raised on a Sunday. You can still get when you when you do a uh, trying to piece together chronology. Even if he was crucified in the last quarter of Wednesday, like late on a Wednesday or whenever on a Wednesday, you can still get a, a three days later he's resurrected uh, if you have an early on Sunday. So I mean, it's it's really interesting. This has been controversial uh, through the ages. Um, so you have people who, who do a Wednesday, a Thursday or a Friday, um, when was Jesus crucifix crucified? I tend to think he was crucified late on Wednesday or early Thursday, not a Friday. Um, but that's just my own perspective. Uh, very complex. Yeah. I remember super to complex. some notes to try to iron that out. And then, um, one yeah. thing I learned is that regions had their own calendars so mm -hmm. so that john's nissan meant something than 
Judean Nisan, you know, so you had different, the month of and, and stuff like that. So you had different, and this is very political, like, so what faction of Judaism you represent the Galilee region versus the Judean region, whatever you, you might've used a different calendar. And part of this was intentional um, and could be very divisive. So anyway, it gets, it gets complex. It's complex. Yeah. I, I once talked with, uh, I I've read probably, I I've read hundreds and hundreds, if not into the thousands of like pieces of literature on on this trying to put together a, a chronology and it is just so difficult i'm not exaggerating when i say maybe into the thousands of pieces of literature on this i have a huge repository of essentially i've like anything i could get my fingers on i've read get my hands on i've read i've even talked with i think it was a nobel laureate or nobel prize winner who'd done some work on this i disagreed with his conclusions but not super super fascinating to to try to piece together a solid chronology and if if there's anybody who thinks that's easy then i just know they haven't done the homework because it's yeah it's it's super hard we are not sure you know we're not exactly sure of the year uh or day of week when jesus was crucified and we can look at celestial phenomena to try to do that or Mm -hmm. whatever and other events but was he crucified in 30 was he crucified in 32 or 33 um and this this of course where we pin the date of the crucifixion is going to to shape how we order other chronological things within the scriptures as well and it it also some somehow plays into it could affect how we date the the birth of jesus too it's all very intricate uh, was Jesus yeah. 30 when he died? 33? Was he 39? Um, so it's all really interesting. I think he was probably born in 6 BC. And, um, you know, now if, if he dies in 30, that puts him at 36. If he dies in 33, that puts him at 39. That immediately blows up the, the idea that he was 33 when he was crucified. But I'm on a tangent. This is all interesting (laughs) so what uh before we take a break what is it about the burial what are some key points of 42 to 47 before we get into chapter 16 on the other side of our break yeah i'm i'm bummed because i wanted to talk about joseph of arimathea too some interesting work done on that why don't you talk about the burial and then i i just want to mention something about joseph and then we'll we'll end with this but I'd, i'd love to hear your thoughts on the the this what's left of 15 yeah i mean joseph is a rich guy um there's a lot made of him in john's gospel um coming with nicodemus uh, i'm kind of harmonizing the gospels there nicodemus is not mentioned here in mark's gospel but um you know they're looking to confirm that he's dead um this is something that you do uh, he died quickly so that's some people who think, you know, Jesus swooned, you know, he only was fainted and wasn't really dead, um, you know, have some evidence that, you know, he did die. He seemed to die pretty quickly. But then on the other hand, you you do have the centurion questioned mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he's the one that's overseeing seeing his death. And this is something that he would have seen probably a lot of, 
So, you know, he's seen a lot of people get killed and crucified and confirmed death, probably likely that he knew what he was talking about. Um, and so once this was allowed, then Joseph was able to take the body and put him in a tomb. Yep. Yeah. So that's about all I would have to say without trying to dig into more Greek. Yeah, yeah, we, we haven't done that a lot here, have we? Haven't in this. No, we're episode. moving fast. Um, so there's this book I encountered. Oh, it's been over a decade ago, and it's it's or an article. I can't remember which one, but it was a a writing by this guy named uh, A.J. Fafar. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing pronouncing his name the right way, but I've just always been intrigued by this. I've I've never sort of like bit the bullet and 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 i guess it fully agreed with this but this thesis has always struck me that that the joseph of arimathea that we get here is actually joseph the dad of jesus the the step uh, the, the the adoptive father of jesus and um that's like a <laughs> hardly anybody would have uh, in the scholarly world would affirm that and it seems like a stretch but again, I love just playing with the text and provoking the text. I think it just if we if we entertain the idea of it for a few minutes that we often hear, right, that that Joseph was probably dead and he wasn't at the cross. He wasn't involved in Jesus's life. But if somehow uh, this is the same Joseph, I mean, uh, it, it does put him at the death of Jesus. And in fact, it shows a very caring adoptive father uh, tending to the body of his adopted son after the crucifixion. Um, and so I, I just, I find it super, super intriguing and fascinating to kind of just, and that raises a lot of questions, right, to, to deal with that. But yeah, back in, I think, 2007, 2008, I was writing some on this on my old blog um, it's still up there, but you can go read some of that. It's just kind of intriguing to me. Uh, to Anything think. from Arimathea kind of just nixes that. like Yeah, because he's called start. Joseph of Nazareth early on. Yeah. Is that why you're... Well, yeah. yeah I don't... He's I don't... Uh, Arimathea. So the, I think the thesis of Feofar is that Joseph of Arimathea or Joseph of Nazareth was a tecton, right? A stonemason, a woodworker. And uh, he had been expelled from Nazareth for penury, which is like holding, I guess, building, building a, a, a large bank account or something. And so he takes up a new life and identity uh, in Jerusalem where he becomes wealthy and, um, and so he, he becomes identified with uh, Arimathea, I suppose, rather than Nazareth. But yeah, I think that's a huge hurdle to get over. Yeah. 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 I think your, your, uh, your hunch there is a good one. I just, mm -hmm. it's kind of fun to think about that though, to posit the idea of whether, you know, how, how the story might change if we do read along those lines. It's just yeah. intriguing to me. I think the narrative would give us more clues to that rather than I guess <laughs> I guess you know there might be some assumptions that they wouldn't have to always fully ex explicate if this yeah. were the case. But yeah, yeah, I mean he is he's a member of the Sanhedrin, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Joseph was Arimathea. So the Sanhedrin was the ruling body and uh, 70 of them, high priest on it as well. Um, so Jesus is laid into a tomb and mm -hmm. the women, two women, uh, were inquiring, were beholding where they laid him. So they, they, they saw it verse end of verse 47, these faithful women mm -hmm. all the way to the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, let's, I, yeah. I, I would say, uh, what I was just doing is called proof texting. Um, <laughs> we're, we're about proof text, but yeah, really it's not proof texting. I, it's provoking Richard Swanson uses that language of provoking the text. And that's sort of just in my DNA. I'm always prodding and poking and provoking the text and letting it sort of provoke me in creative ways. Um, but yeah, we're going to uh, take a break. So Fred, what, what do you have? Well, yeah, we're just want to listen to uh, our sponsor, uh, Glossa house here word from them. Looking for creative ways to launch your biblical language studies to the next level? We here at Glossa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit GlossaHouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glossa House, language resources for the global community. All right. Well, welcome back. We're in the middle of a, of a two-pronged episode where we're looking at the death and burial of Jesus, which we've just accomplished. We've participated in that um, because of our own sins. We've <laughs> participated in his death and, and burial, but we also just talked about that as well. Um, but we're also hopeful to participate in the resurrection of Jesus, and we want to look at that in the, the remainder of our time in this episode, we're looking at Mark 16, which I think it ends in verse 8. Do you think 16 ends in verse 8? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it is awkward that it ends with a gar. Yeah. But um, that's, it's, you know, people will make a big bunch of hay out of it. So the, the last yeah. word is actually the Greek word, which means for or because, which is in a post position which is where it's supposed to be but it's just kind of odd to, you know the last sentence is for they were afraid uh you know they were afraid for you know exactly. the greek is fine the greek is completely fine but it's just odd to end with a post positioned conjunction really odd and and then it's odd that the gospel seems to end with the women who've been faithful all along uh not doing what they were told and instead instead they were it says that they they said nothing to no one literally in the greek it's a double negative very uh, pronounced there's prominence there they said so no one they said nothing mm -hmm. for they were continually in fear we have we have fear. numerous other documents though from the ancient world novels or narratives even that end with a gar. So this isn't this isn't out of okay. out of keeping with how ancient stories were told. We have numerous examples of stories ending with a gar. Yeah. Um, and there's an example of a sentence ending in with a gar in John 13, 13, actually. 
Um, yeah. So if you want to look that up, you can see it. I have a little note here where I found that. So uh, we're on the other side me, of we're yeah, at Easter now. Teacher. Yeah, we're okay. I was going to read it. For you call me teacher and Lord, and you speak rightly, for I am. Ah. Uh, Migar. Yeah, great example. Um, well, 16.1. Let's look at these eight verses, Fred, and uh, talk about what we're seeing here. Why don't you start us with verse one? I mean, yeah, we see a ke and a genitive absolute. So, um, and um, after the Sabbath, the Sabbaths having gone through, literally, or come through to its completion, then you have Mary Magdalene and, and Mary, the mother of James and uh, Salome. Jacob. Uh, oh, that's right. Jacob, uh, not James, Jacob and Salome. Uh, they they're brought, all mentioned again. Yeah, they're all mentioned again. They, they bought spices in order that they coming, in order that coming, they would anoint him. That coming is a pre-nuclear procedural participle like it's not necessary um of course they would have to come in order to anoint him. right so it's a little detail that kind of ups the ante in terms of movement and action and it was very early in the morning and they they and they come historic present verse two historic present they come on the early on the week First day of the week to the tomb. Or um, first day of the Sabbath. First day of the Sabbath. Notice that it's Sabbaths in the plural. That's really interesting, huh? That's an idiom though, right? Yep. That's how it happens. So yeah, the first day of the, and I think it just means weeks of the weeks of the Sabbaths of the weeks. Yeah. I think it's an idiom for of, of one way of talking about the weeks uh, in terms of Sabbaths. So the week is uh, defined around Sabbath. Yeah. So why is that? You know, why is it being profiled that way? So after the sun had risen, so they show up very early. Um, yeah. And so they're looking, they're talking to themselves, verse three. They're like wondering, how are we going to do this? How are we going to roll away the stone? Um, and then they saw that the stone was rolled away. Although it was very large. Okay, so right now we're understanding that something kind of supernatural has taken place or they're wondering about that. And uh, then they see this young man sitting there who might have been John Mark, right? Mm. He's kind of the jokester running around naked and hosting the Passover. Is this young man, John? Yeah, I mean, it could be a laugh point, right? Now he's dressed. (laughs) Yeah, now he's dressed. So people will, yeah, wearing a white robe. Yeah. So, yeah, people kind of have all kinds of fun ideas about this. But probably an angel, right? He's, uh, this is what angels wear, white robes. And he says, don't be amazed. Stop being amazed. That's a really interesting word for amazement. Um, mm-hmm. Ekthambeo. Ekthambeo. Yeah. Uh, so it's really talking about like shock and, uh, and amazement, utter amazement. 
Yeah. So they're, they're like to the point of being stupefied, like what is going on? Let, let's, let's yeah. remind everyone that we are talking about the women still like we're tracking with the women, right? Mary of Magdala, Mary, the mother of Jacob and Salome, the same, yeah. the same women mentioned at the crucifixion among the other women, but these three in specific are start chapter 16 verse one go through verse two right mm-hmm. on the first day of the sabbaths they are on their way to the tomb not men and they're wondering the women in verse three who will roll the stone away and they yeah. look up in verse four and see the stone it's been rolled away and verse five they see the women see the young man dressed uh in white and they the women are alarmed and then we're at verse six yeah and this guy, so De, new development, and he says to them, the women, yeah, don't be shocked. You are seeking Jesus, the Nazarene, the one having been crucified. He was raised. He is not here. Look, the place where they set him. Because that was a literal translation. Mm. Uh, but go speak to his disciples and to Peter. So it's interesting that Peter is separated out from the disciples. Uh, speak this. Go. Uh, uh, he goes before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said to you. Okay, so this is uh, this is what they're commanded to say. The women. Yeah, the women are commanded to say to his disciples and to Peter. Yeah, we've. We've already had this as well. Jesus already said earlier in Mark, uh, go ahead and, you know, I'll go ahead of you into the Galilee once this is all over. So this is another a reiteration of that. We had it just yep. a couple chapters back. Yep. Yep. And then verse eight, and going out, they fled. Uh, there's another uh, abutted participle, I would say, that's procedural. They have, you have to go out to flee. So mm-hmm. why would, you know, they could have, he could have just said they fled. Yeah. Well, you'd have to go out before you fled. So this is, again, extra detail that I guess adds more action to the event. Mm. Yeah. So they fled from the tomb for they were having for fear, fear and and amazement that those are the subjects mm-hmm. we're having them. Mm. So we have the personification of fear and astonishment, <laughs> trembling. And the, the word here for fear really is trembling. Trembling, we're having then Iken, Iken is the imperfect of, of uh, echo, echo. So Again, they're just overwhelmed by these things. These things are having them. They're in the grip of trembling and amazement or shock. Yeah. I love and, that you just said uh, echo, echo. Did you do that on purpose? Echo? <laughs> you echo, echoed. Echo? Oh, yeah. echo, echo. Yeah, echo, echo. I have. Echo means I have. He can. Yeah. And to no one, nothing they said for they were they continued to be afraid. And that's how Mark ends. Yeah. So yep. we don't see the resurrected Jesus. Right. I mean, how can, can we really say 
that Mark ends with the resurrection of Jesus when it really just ends with the report? Of the yeah, we just we end with an empty tomb, right? Um, yeah, there's it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, that's how a Greek drama, and I think Mark is following the the, the framework of a Greek drama. That's that's a great way for a Greek drama to end. It wasn't a, to leave a cliffhanger like that. Now you're supposed to restart the story and go back through it again. Um, so it's yeah, super, super interesting. Back in 1606, uh, we have the... You're seeking Jesus, the Nazarene, the, the crucified Nazarene, the Nazarene, the one who was crucified... Uh, Nazarene is an interesting word. Um, you have the idea of, of Nazareth, um, a location Jesus is associated with, but you also have the idea of uh, Nazarite vow, right? Um, and uh, in the Old Testament that, or in Hebrew, the idea of uh, the, the Hebrew word netzer being a branch, Right. And so this could have using this specific phrase here, the Nazarene could have those messianic or Davidic messianic overtones, um, the branch of of uh, David, essentially. Uh-huh. The Nazar. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, linking it to crucifixion to a, yeah. a branch and a cross kind of tree imagery. Yeah. Yeah, so Mark's gospel has two additional endings, a shorter one and a longer one. There's probably other ones as well. Uh, But you could see why a scribe would want to fill in the rest of the story. I mean, it would be unsatisfying Mm -hmm. uh, to be using Mark uh, and to have it end with the women not complying with the angel. Now, Mark's gospel is really the gospel of failure in many respects. Everyone seems to fail Jesus, even God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus is on the cross, and it seems like even God fails him, although that's the start start of Psalm 22. But we know at the end that God is going to be faithful. But still, in the middle of that, it seems like even God is failing him, And then even the most faithful of the faithful people seems to fail him um, by not reporting, by giving Mm. into fear. I think there's a strong message here of fear of the, of the, um, you know, this is a repeated theme here is this fear, you know, first don't be freaked out. Verse six, don't be, I think that maybe would be how I would, uh, translate don't be freaked out um and then to succumb to kind of uh to be almost frozen right to be frozen from fear and uh, i think you know as is as famously said in a a movie fear is the mind killer (laughs) anyone name that movie um dune yeah dune fear is the mind killer so i think there's something about fear that would have spoken to the recipients of the of the gospel. And of course, we know the rest of the story. They know the rest of the story that the women did eventually go and report yep. and this kind of thing. But 
to end with this idea of fear and awe and being freaked out, I think is, you know, we need to, we need to stop and just say, okay, what really has happened? Jesus was raised. Um, Egerthe, he was raised. He's not here. Um, this is a game changer. This is a game changer in the world. Death is not the end of us. Death was not the end of Jesus. When we die, we do not cease to exist. We exist in a different way of being. And we're said to be with Jesus. We go to be where Jesus is. Paul has an understanding of this, is that if he were to die, he would go to be with Jesus. And so Jesus inaugurated a new way. But we just have to pause at the immensity of what, what has happened at Easter. We just, it's that mind blowing. We just need to pause with that. It is that mind blowing that resurrection is a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The open endedness, I think of Mark's gospel, I find, it, yes, there's a cliffhanger could be unsatisfying, but there's also something that is satisfying about it. It's astonishing like that it all works up to this. And if you think about it as like, like a play being performed in the ancient world you work up to this point and then all of a sudden the grave is empty and the audience just like gasps and they're they're stunned right and you you leave thinking about it i think the cliffhanger is very yeah i don't know i very provoking for me and yeah Yeah. uh the the fact of the women here women write their testimony generally wasn't accepted in this culture. And so the fact that women are the first one to, to, to see the, you know, to um, see the empty tomb and to be able to, yeah, eventually report about this, essentially the first to tell the gospel, proclaim the gospel that Christ has been raised. This is a huge deal, right? The, the whole gospel account hinges on the testimony of women in a culture where testimony of women was generally, and especially in a court of law, would not have been accepted. Yeah, um, so it's a scandalous, super scandalous. Yeah, yeah, um, scandalous. Which, which in a way lends to the credibility of it, because if it's this scandalous, they could have easily come up with a different ending. They could have put Peter, you know, going to the tomb first to make it more credible, but they don't. It's Mark sticks with the women. Yeah. Uh, and big points yeah it's an it's it's quite quite of quite an amazing story um i i think most of us probably would have fled and and you know what do you say after this you know good good pharisees good jews believed in a corporate resurrection at the end of time but no good jew believes in an individual erection an individual resurrection in the middle of time yet these women are the first to recognize that and um he's not here (laughs) he's not here Uh, pretty amazing but here well do you have a parting thought for us yeah i do um uh this so i i do a lot of prayer writing i wrote a book for glossa house uh I, i printed my prayer journal from last year and uh i I 
I'm still writing prayers and hopefully we'll print another prayer journal at the end of this year. But this is a recent prayer that I wrote actually super recently, just in the lead up to, to Holy week. It's called curtains, a prayer of reflection, kind of a poetic prayer, but says this, so this is from me, <laughs> the curtain flapped ferociously all day. And at one point tore split in two, rent. Then it fell, instigating mourning, as it were, and in its own way signaling a long goodbye. And blood dropped, dripped upon scorched earth, accompanied by weeping and a lonely silence. His eyes closed, heads turned, unable to watch the body be removed, slowly and ensconced in a tomb where to the unspiritual eye, it later vanished, but to those with eyes to see, it unwrapped the world and gifted us with Easter and resurrection and no more need for curtains. Mm. Amen. Mm. I love that. Unwrap the world. Mm. Yeah, I have a, I do a, uh, I share these prayers on my, church blog at bridgenaz.org slash blog. We try to put a prayer on there every day, but um, yeah. Well, thanks, Fred. I appreciate your time and yeah, just and your you. insights. Well, thanks you too. And yeah. uh, we, we're encouraged to hear comments from you. So, uh, you know, write, write some comments and uh, we'll pick up with Galatians after Holy Week. We'll continue with our study of Galatians and we just offer these as gifts to you. May God bless you at this time in your devotion and our devotion. So thanks for listening. We look forward to you having you listen to us next time. Take care. Aloha.